Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1 through 22. What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics? For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's study takes us to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Before we proceed, let me speak briefly to the imagery that we've been noticing in the book of Revelation. Though the imagery makes some people uneasy, they prefer to interpret the book of Revelation and the Bible with a a strict literalness. We've been noticing that the imagery is fairly easy to recognize. Primarily, the background and the source of the imagery is is, is the Old Testament. The woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet was clearly a reference to Joseph's dream in Genesis 37. We saw the fact that John was told to take a scroll and to eat it, and that paralleled Ezekiel's being commissioning as a prophet in the book of Ezekiel chapters 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Today we're going to see a beast that comes up out of the sea, and then on our next study we'll see another beast that comes up out of the earth. And the background for these beasts, in particular the first one, is the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 2, it says this, Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and the four beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear, It was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this, I kept looking. And behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. It had a large iron teeth. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up from among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vestiger was like white, like snow, and his hair of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was ablaze with flames, and his wheels were burning with fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him, and the court sat, and the books were open. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to the, burn, to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. 
we're going to notice the parallels now between that and Daniel chapter and Revelation chapter 13. Let's begin in verse 1. He stood in the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. On his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as if it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? There was given him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. He opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined to captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. We saw in our last chapter that the dragon tries to persecute God's people. He stood before the woman who was about to give birth, and the child was snatched up to God, and the dragon was kicked out of heaven. And after that, the dragon was enraged, knowing that he was only a short time. And he goes after the offspring of the woman, who are described as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The dragon's pursuing God's people. He pursues God's people by, by means of pouring out water or like a flood out of its mouth, which we refer to uh, seems to indicate deception and, and persecution. So believers now are going to be exhorted to be discerning in this chapter about the falsehood and not to participate in the false worship propagated by the devil and his worldly allies. That way they can hold on to their faith. This chapter then contains one of the clearest chapters about idolatry in the book of Revelation. Idolatry because to be loyal to the government included emperor worship. Michael Gorman suggests that Revelation chapter 13 reveals Rome's political, economic, and religious system that represents the devil's rule, and that it's antithetical to God's purposes, and it's an enslaving system. Now, the parallels between Daniel 7 and the book of Revelation chapter 13 help us understand the context of what's going on. In Daniel 7, it's a prophecy of a final kingdom on earth that will persecute and defeat Israel. Afterward, the persecutors themselves will be destroyed, and the saints will inherit the kingdom of the world. G.K. Beale says that John sees Daniel's prophecy concerning Israel as fulfilled in the world's persecution of the church in the latter days, which for him began with Christ's death. Another commentator says the beast is not merely Rome. It's the inhuman, anti-human arrogance of empire which has come to expression in Rome. But not only there. All who support the cultural religion, in or out of the church, however lamb-like they may appear, are agents of the beast. All propaganda that entices humanity to idolize human empire is an expression of this beastly power that wants to appear lamb-like. It's very important to understand, though, that as we discuss uh, the nature of the beast and who the beast might be, that the beast is an imitation of Jesus. He's attempting to imitate Christ. Perhaps we have what commonly is referred to as the satanic trinity between the dragon and the two beasts, the first beast that we're discussing now and the second beast that comes up out of the earth in chapter uh, 13, verses 11 and following. The, first, the dragon seems to be imitating God the Father. Uh, the second beast, or the first beast here, seems to be imitating Christ. And we're going to note parallels between the beast and Christ. 
The significance of that is that the beast is not some secular entity outside in the world, but the beast represents something that's trying to come into the church. Remember Jesus' words, false prophets will appear among you to deceive even the elect if that were possible. Watch out for false prophets and false Christs who appear in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, then tells, 18, tells, tells us that the dragon enlists the aid of two beasts in his campaign against the saints. Remember, chapter 12 and following is giving us more detail as to what happens and what's going on in that war in chapter 11, verse 7. We find out first off that in chapter 12, that the war is actually the war that the dragon has been waging against God's people all along, the dragon being the devil. He's opposed God's people before Jesus, he opposed Jesus, and he'll continue to oppose God's people after Christ as well. Chapter 13 now indicates for us that the dragon does so by enlisting the aid of two beasts. The imagery of beasts indicates that instead of ruling over the beasts as mankind was commanded to do in Genesis chapter 1, man now serves the beast. They serve the creation instead of the creator. Now we'll also note that in chapter 13 the beast makes war against the saints and conquers them. But in chapter 17, the beast makes war against the lamb and is conquered by him. Now the idea of beasts represents what happens to mankind when we claim the loyalty and obedience that belongs to God alone. Instead of being human, we become bestial. This first beast that comes up out of the sea seems to be some form of state government. Now from the perspective of Asia Minor, where John wrote the letter and, and, and the seven churches resided, uh, whatever comes from the sea is foreign. Roman officials came by the sea to Ephesus. Now recall that the sea represents forces that are hostile to God. Remember the sea monsters throughout scripture is always representative of evil kingdoms who persecute God's people. This beast has ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns. The ten horns of, in, in the book of Daniel are, are, are ten kings in Daniel 7 verse 24. The seven heads, which is the total of the heads of the four beasts in Daniel chapter 7, the seven heads represent power or perfect or, perfect or complete authority. In chapter 9, we saw demons that had heads, uh, the heads of the demons did harm. In chapter 9, also the demons have crowns on their heads. Ten crowns, indicating earthly kings or diadems, are worn by Satan in chapter 12, worn by the beast in chapter 13, and worn by Christ in chapter 19. The difference, however, is that Christ's crowns are innumerable, whereas the beast's crowns are always numbered. The, the beast wears his diadems on his horns, a symbol of power throughout Scripture. The dragon wears them on his head, a symbol of ruling authority. The beast has blasphemous names. The blasphemous titles were often given to Roman emperors, Caesar Augustus and Claudius and Vespasian upon their death. Domitian was known apparently as Dominus et Deus, our, uh, the Lord or our Lord and our God. Blasphemy was a key trait of the rebellious characters in the book of Revelation. Blasphemy, of course, is indicated by those who refuse to repent after the bold judgment in chapter 16. The beast in chapter 17 has blasphemous names, and those who say they are Jews and are not in the book in chapter 2 um, blaspheme. Now it says here that the beast has characteristics of a leopard, a bear, and a lion, which is important to note that, it, that this combines the characteristics of all four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. Revelation combines these four beasts into one. We know that the beasts in the book of Daniel represent kingdoms. And so it appears that by combining these four beasts into one, that Revelation is simply saying that we have one beast, one kingdom, that's more terrifying than all of the other kingdoms combined. By combining Daniel's four beasts into one, one hybrid, John suggests that the beast represents perhaps even all manifestations of evil kingdoms. 
Perhaps another way of saying it is, instead of it referring to a particular kingdom, this beast represents all the kingdoms in the history of the world, especially those that have persecuted God's people. Now, this beast receives his power, throne, and great authority from the dragon. Uh, the beast also, by the way, is slain. Now, many translations will note that I saw one of its heads as if it had been slain. But remember, that's the exact same language that was used of Christ in chapter 5. I looked and behold, a, lion, a lamb, as if it were slain. Again, that, the point of that is, is that the beast is trying to imitate Jesus, or appears to be Christ himself. Many false prophets and many false Christs will appear, Jesus said. If anyone says, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. It says here that the beast has a fatal wound, which probably refers back again to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where it says that the uh, offspring of the woman will crush your head or bruises, bruise you on the head, and ye shall bruise him on the heel. This beast, however, survives, or perhaps is even resurrected from this fatal wound. Verse 14 tells us that the, the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Again, the imitation of Jesus and the parody of Christ is abundant. Both are described as having their followers' names in their foreheads. They're both slain and yet raised to life. Both Jesus and the beast have authority over, over every tribe and tongue and people and nation. They both receive worship. The universal worship of the beast parodies the universal worship of Christ. We see that the, that the second beast has horns or two horns like a lamb. And then we'll note that the blasphemous names in the beast contrast the unknown name of the lamb in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11, who is himself the king of kings and the word of God. This is important because we often conceive of the beast, as I mentioned earlier, as somebody out there, a political worldly figure. Maybe it's this person or that person or this kingdom or Hitler or whatever it may be. But in reality, what we're going to notice is that the beast is parodying Christ. He's appearing to be someone that we are to follow. The whole world, we're told, marveled and followed after the beast, virtually synonymous with the fact that the beast is worshipped. Those who do not worship the beast is going to, are going to suffer economically, as we'll see in more detail in the description of the second beast. Now, they worship the dragon, of course, as a show of allegiance, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can make war with him? The phrase, who is like the beast, is a phrase similar to what's described to God in the Old Testament. Therefore, this is the epitome of blasphemy. The description of the beast in Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 through 7, is very significant. And I'd like to parse it out a little bit, a little carefully so we can understand exactly what Revelation is telling us. The Greek actually says that it was given to him, that the phrase, it was given to him, occurs twice in chapter 13, verse 5, and again in chapter 13, verse 7. In chapter 13, verse 5, it says it was given to him a mouth to speak blasphemies. And then it says, and it was given him authority, to make authority, or to have authority for 42 months. Chapter 13, verse 6, then expounds upon the first it was given him. It was given him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And it says in chapter 13, verse 6, that it was given to him uh, to open his mouth to blaspheme God, both to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. The beast is going to speak blasphemous words. Again, mouth referring to teachings, in this instance, false teachings. And what the beast is going to blaspheme is he's going to blaspheme God. But if you think about it, you can say all the blasphemies you want against God. It, it makes no effect. So instead, the beast focuses. Now, in particular, he's going to blaspheme God's name and his tabernacle, or his dwelling place. But remember, throughout Scripture, and already we've seen it in the book of Revelation, the dwelling place of God is God's people. We are the temple of the living God, as Paul will say in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. So, 
John, so John goes on to say, he's going to blaspheme his name in his, in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. I mentioned in a previous discussion that John likes to have a dualistic way of looking at things. John will designate the people of the world as earth dwellers. Those who dwell in heaven, then, refers to God's people. So notice then, the beast is first given a mouth, so he can utter blasphemies. But he doesn't just simply blaspheme anything at all. He blasphemes God's people. The second thing that the beast is given authority to do is to, to make war, verse 7 now, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Here's that word overcome again. We were surprised in chapter 11, verse 7, to see that, that a beast comes up out of the abyss and makes war and overcomes the saints. As we noted in chapter 11, the beast seemed to be some beast that John's readers already knew about. He was referred to as the beast, even though John had never indicated in the book of Revelation who or what this beast was prior to chapter 11, verse 7. Now in chapter 13, we have a better, we have greater clarity. The beast, in fact, is the beast that we read about in the book of Daniel, the one that we knew about in Daniel. But in, in the book of Daniel, there were four beasts, and these four beasts clearly represent four different kingdoms. John then has taken those four beasts in the book of Daniel and combined them into one beast to describe one end-time horrific beast that itself incorporates all empires in the history of the world. And that beast will make war against God's saints and overcome them. But again, though it appears that the beast overcomes the saints, we realize that it's only an apparent overcoming. After all, we already know that the, that the saints are the ones who not only die, but are resurrected in full view of men. John then concludes the description of this first beast with the phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear. We noted already that, that this is a catchphrase or a code phrase used by Jesus when he tells the parables. And it seems to indicate that what was just spoken was spoken in some kind of a code. Uh, you know, a parable was something that not, was not understood by everybody else unless you have ears to hear. The message is relevant for John's readers then. It's this uh, call for patient endurance on the part of the saints. Uh, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. I always wondered about this verse. It seems to be kind of cryptic. What do you mean if you're destined to captivity, to captivity you go? And if you kill with a sword, with a sword you must be killed. The reality is that for John's readers, if you are going to bear witness for the name of Jesus, you're going to be blasphemed by the beast. And not only that, but the beast is going to make war with you. And if it's your destiny to go to prison, to prison you will go. But know this. If the phrase, anyone who kills with a sword, is a reference to the Roman government's authority for capital punishment. Death by the sword. Know this, that if you're destined to captivity, to captivity you'll go. And if they kill you with a sword, well, whoever kills with a sword, with a sword they must be killed. This means that if they do impose death upon you, God will bring justice upon them. Because he who kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Remember, the book of Revelation opened with John informing us that he's our brother in the tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance which are ours in Christ. Now, by the time we get to chapter 13, we realize that the perseverance is needed because all the kingdoms of the world will stand opposed to God's people. After all, they've been empowered by the dragon to do what? To blaspheme God's people, and thereby is God's dwelling place in God's name, and to make war against God's saints and overcome them. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.